Welcome to a podcast of Wyoming Chronicle, where we tell the stories of Wyoming in a weekly program of interviews with newsmakers, artists, innovative thinkers, and unique Wyoming personalities. To learn more, visit us at wyomingpbs.org. The Wyoming story is this wonderful story of the West and how cattle are grazing and raised here with the proper marketing tools and business classes, students have some opportunities to take Wyoming beef to another area of the country and bring more value back to our local economy. Local meat processing from the field to the table right here in Wyoming on the next Wyoming Chronicle. Funding for this program is made possible in part by the Wyoming Humanities Council, helping Wyoming take a closer look at life through the humanities, thinkwhy.org, and by the members of the Wyoming PBS Foundation. Thank you for your support. And as we begin this Wyoming Chronicle, it's our pleasure to be at 307 Meat Company, just south of Laramie with Kelsey Christensen. Kelsey, welcome to Wyoming Chronicle. Thank you. You um, want to bridge the gap between producers and consumers. What was the genesis for you to create where we're at here today? Yeah, you know, I spent 11 years at the University of Wyoming Meat Laboratory, and over time I saw a lot more small producers go out of business, um, and a lot of the phone just kept ringing over and over and over. <clears throat> and if you watch the country, there was a movement that started mostly on the East Coast and a little bit on the West Coast of, you know, the farm to table stuff. And so it's progressively moved across the country and there's been more and more Wyoming ranchers and Wyoming producers that want to direct market uh, their products to the, direct, to the consumer and hopefully into some restaurants over time. Uh, but the industry is very vertically integrated with major packers, the major four packers, and there isn't a lot of capacity at the smaller side that allows small ranchers to get into a facility where they can have a custom process, have their private label put on their product. And so that's, that was my goal and that's, that's what I set out to do was to bridge that gap, create a service facility for those ranchers and producers that can direct market to those consumers. And our viewers will have a chance to see a lot of um, video that we've shot while we've been here today and we're very thankful for the access that you've given us. But you opened this business about a week before COVID came and pretty much shut you down. Yeah. How's that worked for you? Yeah, it was a little challenging in the beginning. Um, we did, we opened the, the production side of the facility um, March 3rd, kind of a week before COVID hit. We had some supplies on hand, but we didn't want to overload ourselves, you know, it's a cash game in every business. So um, cash is king and trying to keep those cash dollars in our account. So. Uh, we didn't uh, buy a ton of supplies and we didn't have really established relationships with our suppliers at that point. And so when COVID hit, the demand for gloves, the demand for hairnets, um, all those things kind of just hit and we didn't have established relationships. So we couldn't get those things readily. We could get one box of 100 pairs of gloves. And when you have a crew of 10, you burn through that pretty quickly. So it was like sure. every other day I was calling to order one box. So Give us an idea of the the regulatory process you had to go through to become what you are today. Absolutely. Uh, to start off, you know, we went to the city of Laramie. The city and I worked together really well to try and find a location 
that was close enough to the general populace, but it was also away from the residential areas. Um, and so we went there, uh, we found this location. It works well from a commercial standpoint, access off of highways. We're far enough from neighborhoods that we don't have any of that disturbance that could potentially be there. Um, and then going through the design process, uh, working with EPA to make sure our wastewater discharge was correct into the city system. One thing that we did here, reason we're in the city of limits of Laramie, is because we really wanted access to the city's water and the city's sewer system um, from, our, from our good water and from our wastewater uh, treatment facility. Then after that, once we have our design, um, I applied for my USDA grant of inspection. That application is pretty simple and straightforward. The tough part of it is the food safety program part. And so you gotta have a HACCP plan. Uh, HACCP stands for hazard, hazard Analysis Critical Control Points. Those are points in our facility that we've determined that we can, a critical control point where we can alleviate or reduce a hazard, such as a bacterial hazard or a physical hazard, piece of metal or piece of plastic, um, those type of things. So you put all that program in place or you write that program, send it into USDA, and they approve it or deny it. Um, we went a couple rounds with that to just make sure exactly what we wanted. Um, and then pretty much after that, they give you a temporary grant of inspection. Um, and they place an inspector here, assigned here, uh, for 90 days. Uh, and so those across those 90 days, you have to prove to the USDA that you know what you're doing and that you can follow the program that you, rent, that you wrote in order to be produce safe, wholesome food products. Kelsey, what does it mean to be USDA inspected? I bet there's a lot to that. There, there is a lot to it. Uh, to be USDA inspected means that the product that we produce here at the facility can be shipped across state lines. Um, it can be distributed to anyone and everyone within the United States territories or states. There is an opportunity for us to ship some of our product into international markets. Uh, the biggest part about USDA inspected is that we have a USDA inspector on site every day for eight hours a day, or longer if we decide we want to run longer. We just start having to pay some of those, those expenses. Um, but our, our inspector has their own office, um, their own restroom facilities. They are stationed here. Uh, we have a permanent inspector now, and she's assigned here for a year. Um, and then she could potentially move on to a different facility. But what it means then is that we, the main point is that we can um, ship our products across state lines. This is a busy facility that we've learned today. Give us an overview of everything that happens here from start to finish. Kelsey. Start to finish. Oh yeah. well, man, we could, we could spend an hour <laughs> I know we can, it, um, it's hopping. Yeah, so the facility is kind of in two different pieces. We have production and we have retail. Uh, so we'll start on the production side. Our producers will deliver livestock either the night before or the morning of. Uh, my crew starts at 6.45 in the morning. Our uh, inspection hours start at 7 a.m. Um, so those animals come in. We start the day off what's with, called a pre-operational inspection. Um, we examine our facility to make sure that it's clean and none of our equipment's contaminated. Um, and then we set out for the day. I give my, my slaughter crew uh, their daily duties, how many head they got, what the expectation is for the day. The production side, I give them their, their daily cut sheets, how many head they need to get through today, what the cuts are, any specialty products like brats or summer sausage that they need to do. Um, they kind of go to work and then, then it's back to the office for me usually to, to get invoicing done and get some accounting done, talk with customers about what their next needs are. 
And then all that goes into the, you know, the production stuff all goes into the freezer. Um, and then as you saw this afternoon, it's a loadout craziness usually in the afternoons. We get a lot of customers are coming to pick up their raw, their raw products, their freezing, freezer products, and we load them out. Who have you found are your customers, Chelsea? On, on the production side, um, a lot of our customers are, are ranchers that are trying to market anywhere from 10 to 300 head of cattle a year or pigs. Um, we don't have a lot of sheep producers at this time, but we have a, a pretty good pig uh, hog operation that's working with us. Um, but most of them are those guys that are direct marketing about 10 to 300 head of cattle a year. Are you a, a small sized production facility, medium sized? Give us a, an idea of the scope of what you do. Correct, so according to USDA, we'd be considered very small. Um, so we're, we're a very small facility. The facility is just over 9,000 square feet. Um, due to expand a little bit here in the next couple of weeks to months with, the, with some CARES Act money that we're gonna use to expand some freezer space so we can store some more for some of our customers. Some of our customers want some long-term um, storage. Are there many facilities like this either in the state or in the region? Absolutely, there are. There's some in the state. Uh, there are a couple of facilities that are about the size of ours. There's actually quite a few facilities that are about half the size of ours. Um, most of those facilities are all state inspected or custom exempt. Um, and then if we go regionally, there's not much in western Nebraska. And there's, then they're going into northern Colorado. There's quite a few small plants like ours. Uh, most of them aren't inspected though. Uh, they're either at our size or a little bit smaller. Why is it important from the consumer's perspective to have an operation like yours rather than just the big grocery store, they can just go and grab whatever they need? Yeah. So. What's special about an operation like ours is we're able to really directly connect the producer to the customer, right? And the customer to the, back to the producer. There's one step between us. Well, every box of meat that leaves our facility is traced back to that exact animal and back to the exact um, producer. And we have that ability to, to actually shake hands with each other if we need to. Um, whereas in the big chain packers, you know, the big four, they, they're a factory, really, right? They, they slaughter up to 5,600 to 6,500 head of cattle a day. Um, on a hog side, the big hog operations are doing 22,000 pigs a day. We do eight beef a day. Um, so it's a little more, a little smaller, more hands-on, um, more impact to the local community, actually, you know? Even with your small scale, do you find that you're helping ranchers bottom line, um, regional and local ranchers? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, when I did my business plan, I could, I kind of uh, figured out that if we can direct market, if a producer can direct market to the consumer, they stand a 15 to 30 percent increase on their bottom margin on that animal, rather than just selling it off to a major feedlot and to the major packing industry. We saw during the start of the pandemic, you know, a shortage of meat, and a, and I guess a, a run on meat in in a lot of cases. Why was that? And where do you enter to maybe help with that? Yeah, I, I, it, it happened. And I could have told you before that, that it was probably gonna happen, right? Um, when we allow four companies to kind of control the market, um, they kind of dominate. And the food system really is fragile at that point. Um, and they don't have much storage, to be honest with you. They probably have two to three weeks, maybe a month at the, at the most of storage. 
Um, whereas we have the opportunity that we're not a factory, right? I can keep my guys, my produ production crew pretty well contained and say, look, we're essential personnel. We need to produce, we need to feed the public. Um, we need to watch what we're doing, let's not get sick. Um, and so we have the opportunity to really stay consolidated and take in those animals, get them processed and get them out to those customers. Did those big four producers impact what you do day in and day out? They, uh, somewhat. They, they impact us more on uh, retail and wholesale side of things because they're a factory. They can produce things at such a rate that their, their margins are a lot lower than what we need to sustain. If we, if we made what they make on one animal, we'd be out of business in a week. Um, and so when they dump the market and prices of meat at the grocery store go down really low, um, then we have customers that come in, they're like, well, why, why should I pay you know, $5.99 for a pound of ground beef versus $2.99 at the grocery store? And the biggest difference is, is hey, you're, well, you're directly affecting my employees and you're directly affecting ranchers and producers in the area here. Seems to me that's becoming more important to consumers. Yeah, definitely it's becoming more important to consumers to know where their meat's produced. I think we're going back to the days of we want to know where our food comes from, we want to know who touched it, how many times it's touched, uh, those type of things, and we provide that type of opportunity. And I think we should know, you do not process game here, is that correct? Correct. <clears throat> we don't process game, we've had a lot of phone calls for it. Um, the game, game processors are in a shortage too. And a lot of it, to be honest <clears throat> with you, comes back to labor. Um, everybody struggles with labor. Uh, you, it takes a lot to convince a guy to come in here and stand on the floor in a cold room and work for eight hours a day. Um, but we don't process any game. Uh, the biggest reason is we have a major business with beef. Beef is our primary business. Um, we just don't want to slow it down for our custom label customers. So we chose not to do wild game. It seems to me, Kelsey, that's a seasonal business and that you might be more busy this time of year, perhaps then in January or February. Can you operate year round with the way you foresee um, your business, I guess, evolving? Sure, absolutely. Wild game is definitely seasonal, right? Um, however, the producers that we work with, they, they're all about direct marketing their consumers. So when they raise their cattle, they all wean and they all calve at the same time for the most part, um, but they just structure their feeding practices to be able to feed their cattle throughout the year and mature their cattle at different points throughout the year. Um, right now, January and February are going to be our two biggest months coming up if, as far as what we got scheduled, um, is the amount of head that we have coming in in those two months. Um, so they, they really do just adjust their feeding schedules to make it work for them. Are you at the point, or do you foresee the, the point where you have to tell customers no? Or we're booking clear out until later next year, not in March or April when you want us to, to help you out. Yeah, we, we tell customers no every day. Potential customers no every day. And we tell some of our customers no every day. Um, it's, it's, it's crazy. We, in July, in July 1st, we did a kind of a crazy book report on ourselves. And at that point, we had 28 head of beef booked for every week through December 31st. And we had 2,000 head of beef on a waiting list. Wow for cancellation opportunities. Um, it's still the same thing. Our waiting list has kind of gone down when you start telling people like, we're, we're way out into 2021 right now. Um, we have some spots here and there for one or two, but for the most part, we're, we're getting pretty well booked up with what we're, 
what we have capacity to do right now. So what's your biggest struggle? What, what is the thing that really kind of keeps you up at night? Uh, the biggest struggle is labor. Um, and I, I think every small business owner is going to tell you that. Um, we have people that come in and they do one day and they're like, yeah, this is not for me. And that's fine. That's fine. When we do find somebody that has passion about it, um, we do everything we can to keep them. Um, those are the things, you know, if my guys walk out on me, they're my biggest asset, right? This, this building is pretty and it's big, but my employees are my biggest asset. If, they, if they're not here, it doesn't run, it doesn't work. You grew up in northern Wyoming. Why did you locate here? Uh, I grew up in northern Wyoming, um, graduated high school, came to school, was going to be like most animal science kids and be a veterinarian. Everybody wanted to help animals. <laughs> um, I made it to my junior year of college. I passed organic chemistry, but we didn't get along real well. Um, I also wanted to work on large animals, and typically a large animal vet that only does large animals doesn't make a ton of money, and you come out of school with over $100,000 in debt. Um, and so I just kind of analyzed what I wanted to do and where we were at, and decided that, you know, maybe I should change, make a change. And so I focused more on business, uh, came out of college, spent two and a half years as a commercial lender, both on the ag and commercial side. Um, then the opportunity got to go back to the University of Wyoming and run the meat facility there. I spent 11 years doing that, kind of prepped me for doing this. This was my goal, actually. I told them in my interview at the university, my goal is to build a plant. Um, took me a little bit longer than what I told them, but yeah. Is this the right place in Wyoming to do it? Yeah, I had that question a lot, a lot. Why, why didn't you build in Torrington where all the feedlots are at? Why didn't you build it in northern central Wyoming where there's a lot of backgrounding? Um, my point was to help producers that are direct marketing. Um, and so where's the, where's the correct location, right? 25% uh, of what we do is probably grass-fed beef. Um, the other 20, other 75% is crane-fed beef. But they come from all over. This last week we slaughtered um, cattle from Jackson, Wyoming. We've slaughtered cattle from Pueblo, Colorado. Um, we've slaughtered cattle from Sheridan, Wyoming. Uh, so where's the right location, right? I picked Laramie um, because that's where we were based in the beginning. Um, we're right on I-80, on 287. Access for shipping is really well. Access for all of our supplies is, is good. Um, the other part was I thought I could capitalize on uh, student labor. You know, students that are at the University of Wyoming to help us out with, you know, boxing and packing boxes, moving boxes, cleaning, those type of things. That hasn't happened because of the pandemic. Um, so that was a little bit different when we started. But that was a lot of it. Uh, the other reason, Laramie didn't have a butcher shop. And a lot of towns don't. They, right? Everyone used to. I remember my mom knew Ray the butcher, yeah. right? Yeah. Knew him personally went and asked Ray the butcher for all of our meat. And that has just went away. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's the retail shop here. Um, I wanted to bring that old world butcher style stuff back. So, you know, our customers come in. We have a dry aging room. They select that they want a ribeye or a T-bone, and we take it in the other room um, behind glass, and we cut it for them to their specifications, and our customers just love it. The other thing that we're doing here is we're bringing in seafood, and so we're working with two different companies, and we're having seafood two-day aired in for us, so it's fresh out of the water. It's the freshest seafood you can probably get in Wyoming at this point. Five years from now, 10 years from now, what's your plan? Well, that's a good question. Um, this definitely didn't evolve. We're in at seven months, eight months right now. It didn't evolve exactly how I had planned it or I thought it would. 
One thing that a lot of small packers went to is they got on the snack stick and the, the snack food craze, and they really dropped the custom processing and the slaughter operations. And that's one thing I, I'm not gonna do. I mean, we, we need to have small slaughter facilities to process these animals. So our focus, and as much as I can try to keep it that way, our focus will be you know, producing slaughtering animals and producing raw products for our customers. Thank you so much for joining us on Wyoming Chronicle. Absolutely, thank you. We're gonna turn the page just a little bit and go to Central Wyoming College and understand what their meat processing program that also is just evolving is about. Stay with us. And as we continue our discussion on meat processing in Wyoming at the local level, we're pleased to be on the campus of Central Wyoming College with Ag Instructor Scott Breeb. Scott, thanks for joining us on Wyoming Chronicle. Yeah, glad you're here. Thank you. We're standing in front of a mobile meat lab, Scott, and our viewers now are looking at some of the B-roll that we shot earlier. Tell us, what's the function of this mobile outfit? So Central Wyoming College was fortunate to receive a grant that's part education, part workforce development. So the mobile meat lab will give us an opportunity to educate students on meat processing. And the mobile piece of it allows somebody to be an entrepreneur or as a cooperative and go out to farms and actually harvest animals in their natural environment. We were at 307 Meats earlier in the show. Mm -hmm. um, and essentially, this is that on a very mobile level. Correct. So uh, bricks and mortars, what you saw at 307 Meats, which is awesome, um, where people will bring their animals there and have them processed. This is an opportunity if people are further distance away to bring the meat harvesting lab to the farm. Uh, this will be used as education, as instruction, but as far as private business would be concerned, and our hope is that people would maybe at some point invest and start their own businesses. Those who are more remotely located, which we have a lot of in Wyoming, uh, would be able to have processing come to their farm. Although Central Wyoming College might be the leader in this project, you see that other colleges are even represented here. Mm -hmm. This will be a traveling lab. Absolutely, yep. So Central Wyoming College will be the lead um, on this project, and then it will be shared amongst the other community colleges in the state that have meat science programs. So what kind of student have you found is interested in pursuing this either as a vocation, either to work or to be an entrepreneur? Yeah, so kind of a number of students would come out of this program. One would be with a um, certificate that would be in one semester for meat science. Um, they could get a two-year degree, which have their English and math and communication skills. And then now we have a four-year business degree that allows them to take entrepreneurial courses and start their own business that could be in meat science. So the first person we're looking for is somebody that's a hard worker. Uh, everybody we've talked to in industry, we say, why do people get in or out of meat processing? They said it's work. But if you show up and work, you're going to do fine. And those students that usually do the best, a lot of them we're finding in our FFA and our high school ag programs. Uh, we have meats contests and livestock judging contests at the high school level. So usually students who have been exposed to those types of activities are interested in coming to a college level and finding a career. Are you surprised that there is the interest in the program and are you surprised that there really is a market for these students once they matriculate through the program? The niche, smaller processing plant has really become a higher demand in the last few years. Uh, COVID has really shown, shed some light on that. Um, you know, 75 to 80% of our processing in the U.S. is held by four companies. Well, COVID slowed that down, so a lot more local demand come to, has come to local processors. So 
that piece is really exciting and more consumers want to know where their meat comes from. They like knowing the farmer who raised it, the manner in which it's been raised. And I'd say over the last 10 years, that progression has really grown. And our students have a great opportunity to find a home in a local processing environment um, to serve that growing consumer demand. This is a relatively new meat lab. It's been around, what, for a few months about it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What have, it's starting to get out and about, though. What are local ranchers telling you when they see this? Um, um, for whatever reason, what are they saying? That, geez, this is a great idea, this is, this is interesting. What, what are they telling you? We're in an ag community, and anything that promotes agriculture and is gonna help the local producer, they are excited about. And so they see this as an opportunity to educate more students to hopefully go out into the workforce to add more processing capacity. And what a rancher is looking at is if we can retain more of that processing locally, hopefully more of that dollar can be kept locally. Instead of those animals being shipped out of state and that revenue going to a corporation that's located somewhere else, if they can process and maybe even retail uh, some of their own meat from their farm by having it processed locally, they're gonna get more value out of their animal. Does it surprise um, some ranchers maybe who are just thinking about processing in this way that it can add to their bottom line? Uh, most of them kind of have an idea of the concept and then seeing how it actually functions has kind of been fun as we've just kind of shown them through the unit and um, how that would work. But the idea of, of having a local processing, they're all excited about. This is one of two, um, I guess, major inve- investments that are part of the meat processing lab. You also have another large cooler. Yes, so this unit we would process, we'd take the hide off, um, get it down into a quarter or half when we're talking about beef, and then we've got a cooling unit on it for short term, and then it would connect to another trailer that would be the long-term cooling unit. Um, Most beef is going to age 10 to 14 days before you process it into your primal cuts. Scott, there's a processing end of it and, and all that's involved there, but there's also the business and marketing side of what a student can, I guess, learn, absorb, and then go out in the world with. Yeah, our hope with this program is that in our animal science and feeds and livestock production classes, we got the production side, now we're bringing the processing side, and with our business program and our four-year degree now, we can help bring the marketing and retail side into our local meat program. And what we mean by that is we can take local meat from Wyoming and market that to other areas of the country. And there's huge business opportunities that as we have more processing, more supporting industries are gonna come along with that. Um, The Wyoming story to local people is local. The Wyoming story to someone in Florida or California is this wonderful story of the West and how cattle are grazing and raised here. And there's a lot of value to that story that with the proper marketing tools and business classes, students have some opportunities to take that and take Wyoming beef to another area of the country and bring more value back to our local economy. Well, I know this program is in, at its inception now. Best wishes, Scott, for its future. It's Thank exciting. You. We appreciate you're here. Thank you being you. here. Thank you so much for joining us on Wyoming Chronicle. Thank you. Funding for this program is made possible in part by the Wyoming Humanities Council, helping Wyoming take a closer look at life through the humanities, thinkwhy.org, 
and by the members of the Wyoming PBS Foundation. Thank you for your support.